What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 108 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. I don't know each of you, but I feel like I do. Because to take the time on the way into work, while you're on the treadmill, while you're out for a walk or a jog, or just building in time during the lunch break to listen to leadership, it tells me you want to be your best. Our passion here at the Lynch with Leader podcast is to put out resources that help make you your very best. And you're at your very best when you lead for a purpose bigger than you. And so every episode, we expose you to phenomenal leaders who are raising the spiritual temperature of their organizations and everyone that they meet. Some of those folks are household names. Others, you may not know, but sometimes the people we don't know are the people that we learn the most from. Today, I want to introduce you to one of those leaders who is making a mark. She's made a mark from being the executive director at one of the largest churches in America down in Florida. She's made a mark while in the nursing industry before the ministry world even opened up. And now she's making a mark at Katie Cole and Company as she comes alongside businesses and churches to help them find their voice and to be their very best. She's a consultant. She's a leader. She's an author. She is a speaker. And she is an amazing lady. Her newest book, Finding Your Leadership Voice, is going to be one you're going to want on your shelf. Her book, Developing Female Leaders, is for everybody and really spurred me on to some new things I'm working on even at North Star. I think you're going to love this conversation. Today, Katie and I are going to talk about what does it mean to lift leadership lids and helping people be their very best. I don't know where you are. This is one you want to pen, you want a pencil, you want your tablet, you want to thumb it into your phone. There's going to be some good notes come out of today's episode. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Katie Cole. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Thank you so much, Mike. It is really great to be here with you today. And as we were covering earlier, you're a mom because your son hooked you up on your <laughs> microphone and has got you all set away. Tell me a little bit about your family. 
Oh, sure. Well, uh, I live with my husband and my son down in South Florida. Um, my son is 16 years old and he is a true techie. His dad is a tech guy. And so he comes by it through nature and nurture. So uh, yes, he heard me on one podcast. He listened to the first 30 seconds and was like, I don't care what you have to say, but you will sound better than that. So for my birthday, or I think Mother's Day, maybe he hooked me up with this nice microphone. So if I'm sounding good, we need to give the next generation the credit. That's so good. That is so good. Now, you are in the world of leadership. That is the world you're living in now. Is that always where you thought you would be and the drive you had of, I'm going to lead and I'm going to... Tell me a little bit about your journey and how you Mm. ended up where you are now. Well, absolutely not. I would say I'm probably the last person I ever thought would be in lots of leadership or coaching people in leadership. Part of that is because I'm not actually a very naturally gifted leader. I'm someone who had to learn leadership along the way, but I've always had a big heart to serve. And a lot of that is my own spiritual journey. I uh, grew up in a Bible teaching church. I started attending when I was in the second grade. My mom was an amazing piano player and uh, she and my little sister and I uh, ended up in this church because she played for a funeral as a volunteer, and then we just never left. And I, uh, it changed my outlook on life. It changed my understanding of that we're all made with a purpose, but we didn't talk about leadership. We didn't talk about um, ministry because everyone in this tiny little mountain church of a hundred people, everyone was a volunteer, including the senior pastor who founded the church. And so I just only knew my Bible and what God said to do, which was serve and give and be a part of it. And so my heart as a believer really was just to serve whoever I felt like God brought to me. And as a Gen Xer growing up, we were sort of the first generation of people who never wanted to lead. So there were oftentimes open leadership positions around me. And I thought, well, I can figure that out or I'm better than no one. Um, And so as I did that, I just got more and more opportunities, but I had to learn leadership. I wasn't naturally confident. I wasn't naturally, um, I didn't know how to serve other people well. I was really locked into my own personality. And a lot of uh, particularly young female leaders, sort of um, any leader does, but as a young female leader, it was easy for me to get locked in and double down on things that don't really make for great leadership, right? My Excel spreadsheet was amazing, but no one really wanted to follow that. And so I had to learn along the way how to actually cast vision, how to care about other people more than myself, to let go of perfectionism, to realize what the main goal is. I think spiritually to understand what God's agenda for the day was versus my own agenda. And so um, I feel like that's one of the reasons why I love teaching leadership is I remember what it was like to not know what this concept meant. Um, I kind of akin it to people who are natural musicians and play by ear and have perfect pitch. They make terrible teachers because they're like, don't you just hear that middle C? And I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, can't you hear that your flute is off key? Me in the fifth grade. I'm like, I can't hear it. Um, But someone who's had to learn music knows how to teach it because we had to learn it also. And so that's why I'm passionate about it too, is I really believe in the potential for people to gain leadership skills to make a bigger impact maybe than what's natural for them to flip the script in terms of dominating people or you know as Jesus would say lording it over them and instead to serve them and some of my most rewarding time is in the marketplace I work with a lot of tech companies and these are people who grow up with you know ones and zeros and a lot of tech equipment where there's a right and wrong answer 
and people's skills are challenging and we can all learn how to be better at that. And when you take a smart person who wants to be a better leader and give them just a few skills, it's amazing the progress that can make and the difference it can make in all the people they're influencing. I love that answer because so many people go, I don't, uh, that's just not me. That's not how I'm hardware. Cause I heard you even in an interview saying you're a two on the Enneagram, which is a helper and which yeah. I am too, which I'm sorry, because now we feel this constant need to always come alongside somebody, even <laughs> if they don't need us, or you just feel this need to come along. What do you, what are you on disc? How do you register on disc? I am a CD on disc. A CD on disc. Mm-hmm. So here you are, didn't go the business school route either. So it's not like you went business school, marketing, uh, leadership, you went nursing. How in the world did you transition nursing to coaching, teaching, leading like you have today? How did all that play together? Well, I think God is just an amazing way of helping us get to where he wants us to be. The journey isn't really nearly as important as what you're learning along the way and being open to the doors he's offering you. So I have a very eclectic background. Like I said, um, part of it is I just really always was willing to go through the next door that I felt like God was opening for me. And if you're willing to do that, uh, it's amazing where he'll take you. And so I've never had a lot of drive or ambition. I don't have a need to do certain things with my life, I do have a lot of energy for trying to help the people God puts in front of me. So when I went to college, I mean, to be really honest, I actually went thinking I would marry a pastor because my faith was super important to me. I was a single young woman and I, and of the people, the women I saw, to be really honest, the people who had the most impact married pastors and did ministry their whole life. And so I got engaged to this really great young Christian man on campus and he was going to be a pastor and in the process was being discipled by the local church I was attending and started to really understand that what I want to do for God is not necessarily the same thing as what God is asking me to do in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And it was a real challenge for me. It shook my uh, paradigm. It challenged who I was and how I was gifted. I, you know, I might not have a lot of natural big woo or big leadership gifts, but I do, I can speak in front of people. I do have, I can see when things are wrong. Um, and I want to fix things. And so being able to, I think really explore that as a as a person, as a young adult and say, gosh, rather than going this route where I'm simply implementing other people's ideas or supporting other people, I can serve people on my own, just listening to God myself. That was a real game changer for me and a way of living that I didn't even think was an option for me as a young single woman. And so I moved from elementary education because I thought that was the best way to prepare for children's ministry uh, to nursing because if you're a single woman who's probably never going to get married, what you do is become a foreign missionary, right? So I figured nursing and I was really good at science. I'm like, that is the most logical way that God is probably going to use me now. So I went to nursing to become a foreign missionary. I still think one day I'm going to run an orphanage in some third world country. Um, Instead, he moved me to South Florida, which felt like a different country coming from Seattle and Montana. Um, and, uh, came down here. I worked in nursing in a hospital and then the church I was at, I, uh, 
served alongside in our production musical. I have a background in musical theater. So I did a lot of worship production. And back in the day when drama was really cool, that was my thing. Uh, anyway, I, I served with a vice president of a local university and she recruited me to take over the health and wellness center at our local Christian college, Palm Beach Atlantic. And I just thrived in that role because I was, um, I oversaw all the health and wellness. I started a counseling center, but then I also got to lead uh, pre-med students and nursing students on mission trips. It was a Christian environment where I could really thrive. I was in student development a lot as a college student, as a, a residence director and as a um, student leader. And so all of that leadership training, self-development uh, lined up so closely with my internal desire for growth and sanctification, and then put me in a platform with young adults and the freedom to run in terms of development. And I just, uh, once again, I feel like God just opened up an opportunity for me to find even more of my sweet spot. And because I worked at a college, I got to go back to school for my master's degree for free, which they had a human resource, a kind of adult education uh, degree. So again, just doors that God's opening. I never set out to do that. But when you uh, take someone who's good at people and cares about people and can administrate things and then give them a degree in training human capital, um, I feel like I have a lot more to offer. And at the time we were attending a church, that was growing really quickly. I was volunteering there a lot and they ended up recruiting me to come on and help them scale their growth. So I started on staff at around 3,500. I left staff when we were at 23,000. I was overseeing their nine campuses and that was 16 years of just amazing opportunities. Again, I didn't have an agenda for myself. I didn't even know you got paid to be in ministry. And I certainly didn't think as a woman, I was going to do anything full time, uh, but there were needs and I'm really good at meeting mm -hmm. needs and fixing problems. And so um, that that just sort of helped me move that direction. And now I'm full-time working with uh, businesses on their leadership development processes. I do a lot of volunteering, helping churches figure out their growth strategies. I wrote this book, um, Developing Female Leaders, because people were getting so stuck in male-populated environments, helping women wanting to add leadership capital to their teams, um, but there's just blockages and they don't know what they are and they keep putting their foot in their mouth and the things they're trying aren't working and they don't know why. And so I want to help bridge that gap and help the guys sort of understand what they simple tweaks they can do yep. to make a big difference for women. So that's kind of how I ended up in doing what I'm doing now. It really is crazy. And I think that principle of opening through the next open, walking through the next open door, that just day by day obedience. I think we underrate that. I think it sounds mm -hmm. easier than it is, but it really isn't comp. God did not mean for this to be complicated. And that's one of the things I love about your story of it's not, you know, there's not a picture on your wall in college of I want to achieve all these things, but yet you've achieved all these things because of daily obedience and walking with the Lord day by day. Another thing you've said in an interview, and I thought it was really good. You said, I've really worked to bloom where I'm planted. Mm. Why is it so important for a male leader, a female leader, whoever it is, to take the season that God has them in? and to be the best they can be in that season for that time he has them there. What would you say? 
I think for me, I've always had a really strong understanding that God's requirement of me is faithfulness and good stewardship. And so uh, he doesn't need me to go do something big for him. He can make anything happen that he wants to, but he does want me to manage well the opportunity I've been given. And so for me to bloom where I'm planted always has multiple dimensions to it. There's, you know, the job or the assignment I've been given. Sometimes it's a work assignment. Sometimes it's a family assignment. Like right now I'm a mom of a teenager. I want to, I want to, I want to bloom as a mom of a teenager. That's very different than being a mom of a four-year-old. And so there's growth and stretching in that, that I know God is using to build my character and to form me into the person he wants me to be, which is way more important to him than what I accomplish or some contribution I make. But he uses that work and that contribution to form my character. Mm. And so if I, you know, ditch my opportunity too quickly, or I move on, or I get bored, what I'm really saying is that I know better than God, even if it's something that looks really spiritual. And even if I can spiritualize my decision or justify it um, as a Christian, I'm still not actually doing the work that he's called me to do, which is to be refined. Mm. And so um, for me, I've always just tried to take the next step and then to uh, be as fruitful as possible, um, contribute as much as possible, learn as much as possible, and trust that when that time is over, he's going to close the door and move me to the next thing. It's not my job to assess that. It's my job to kind of hunker down and be as productive as possible till it's time to move forward. And I would say that productive level looks different. It's looked different in different seasons of my life. So it doesn't mean like workaholism. It means what's the work God has given me to do. Sometimes it's learning to Sabbath. Sometimes it's choosing my family over looking good at work. Uh, I lost my mom recently. So a lot of the work I'm doing now is grief work, which is sort of the anti- leadership work. And so, but I want to be just as faithful in that process as I was when I was running nine campuses at one of the fastest growing churches. I want to be, because in God's eyes, it's all equal. It's just his next step for me. That's really good. And, you know, walking through that season that you're in right now, you've seen it because you've been in ministry so long. You've watched others walk through that season. What's been the hardest part of walking through that season yourself? You know, in ministry, we're trained to go in and and your helper to help others get through it. But Mm -hmm. when it's you walking through it, what's been the hardest part of that season for you, Katie? Uh, I think for me, I'm really thankful. I have some people that I lost earlier in my life that I didn't uh, know how to navigate well, and they kind of caught up with me. And so I've been very intentional with uh, my mom's passing, particularly during COVID. It's been a little extra challenging. I think for for me, um, one of the hardest things is staying in tune enough with yourself to know what you need and then asking for what you need. Um, and But then holding loosely that some people might not give you what you need. It's so, mm-hmm. it's, it's so frustrating, right? Because as a leader, one of the hardest things is to realize you have needs and yep. ask for your needs. And then it's so heartbreaking when people don't deliver for whatever reason, they can't, they're not the right person, or it's just not something they can do for you. And so I think even in that, just realizing that is the right thing I'm supposed to be doing. But at the end of the day, God is ultimately the one who's going to meet my needs. But I still learn about myself and the problem in the process of identifying and asking for it. And even that in itself is a growth journey. And so Um, the other thing I think, because we're in the middle of the pandemic and I wasn't able to travel and see my mom, which as a two and a nurse, when you don't get to like walk your mom personally into the kingdom, it was like devastating for me. And once again, I think another example of what I was confident God would have me do for him, 
versus the journey he actually called me to. And being at peace with that and wrestling that, that this wasn't going down the way I wanted it, that even the very things I thought God had gifted me to give my family the most wasn't I wasn't the person he called to do that. And so letting go of callings, being uh, embracing closed doors as with as much vigor as I embrace an open door, um, that is harder work. It's harder work for the no's than it is the yeses. And um, I think that's part of midlife and uh, sort of the deeper work that God brings us to when we've been walking to him for a while. In the early days, it's kind of like, look at all the things I get to do. And then you sort of go through more of these desert areas, but that's where our heart is really exposed. And I think as long as we recognize it for what it is um, and not fall into the traps of God's not with me or he doesn't know me or I'm supposed to do this myself, but we say, this is God revealing to me the things he sees in my heart that I haven't quite surrendered fully yet. And this is my invitation. And if I don't take this invitation, there will be another one. (laughs) So Mm. it's either pay now or pay later with interest, right? right? He's not going to let us go. And so don't wiggle out of it. Embrace it the first time around. That's the quickest and easiest and most painless way to do it. Um, I've just learned the lesson of that. You know, and I appreciate you sharing that because as you lead in any organization, there is a corporate component of it, but the personal component never goes away either. And those are those are blended together. That journey as a, a wife and a mom, that journey as a daughter who is watching something that we have no control over and almost feel helpless, you know, especially coming out of this season. I lost both my parents in 2017 mm. and both unexpectedly, one in, one in February, one in May, just bizarre set of circumstances. But I remember being in one of those and, and the... Um, the hospital came in and said, would you like us to call the chaplain? And my brother and sister said, no, 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 no. My, my brother's a pastor. And I'm thinking, no, I'd really like the chaplain here. I, I just want to be the son. And it's, and it, it is a, it's an interesting uh, journey to navigate for sure. And um, I'm proud of you for, thanks for sharing that because that, that is a big piece. That's a big piece of who you are. And it tells a lot about what's important to you. And what did your mom, as you look back on your journey now, Katie, what did your mom do most for you that shaped you, shaped you into who you are today? Mm, Gosh, that's a big question. I had a, I was really blessed with a great mom, not a perfect mom. And Mm. she didn't come really back to the Lord till um, I was in elementary school and then really pursued the Lord really after I left for college. And so, um, but she was faithful in Mm. taking us to church. She was always someone who could see the positive and uh, wasn't going to let life knock her down. And I think that bloom where you're planted peace really came from her. Uh, And so I'm very appreciative of that. And I think when it comes to grief, it's, it's a, it's a big word. It's a loaded word. It's easy to see when someone close to you dies. I actually think this season right now is challenging for many people because we're all grieving many things, right? We can grieve the loss of a dream, the loss of a sense of safety. I feel like all of our coping mechanisms that most of us have grown accustomed to, especially if you've grown up as a, as a Christian or in a church culture or environment, um, people, community, sharing, fellowship, meals together, a sense of family. If those are at all in your wheelhouse for coping mechanisms, 
those have all been taken away. And so when we hit hard times and we can't turn to the things we're used to turning to, to make ourselves feel better or to get through tough times, that is a huge sense of loss. Mm -hmm. Um, the Lord has really been taking me through the book of Joshua because, uh, uh, for one reason, um, he was leading the Israelites into the promised land at the same time he was grieving the loss of Moses. And I had never really thought of that before. Mm -hmm. Um, I would like things to come, you know, I'd rather deal with grief and then lead later once I've overcome it. But, most of us are being called to grieve and lead at the same time. And uh, Joshua gives us a really great example, um, even making mistakes, even um, uh, being uncertain, you know, God has a grace for us as we're navigating both things. And I think he does it if we navigate both things, if we just double down on leadership and avoid the grief, or we yep. just double down on grief, and we don't step into our calling, we're missing the opportunity God is really giving us at this time to be different than the rest of the world in this moment. I've never thought about that before. I've never thought about that in the life of Joshua. That is a great insight. Because, and you wonder if that's why God had to tell him three times to be strong and very courageous. Yes. And then he says, don't be discouraged and don't be terrified. And I'm like, That's right. you know what? There are parts of me that have never, I'm not really a big fear person, but that word terrified, I can resonate with at this time, yeah. navigating this season with the losses I've had, this can feel terrifying. And so, uh, yeah, I think when you look at Joshua in that context and the kinds of things God does for him, I go, that makes so much more sense. Now it's not just being a young leader. It's leading something big while grieving something significant. Mm. No, that's powerful. That is powerful. So we have young Katie at one of the best churches in America down in Palm Beach, blowing up 3,500 to 25,000. That's hard. That, that is a tough road for anybody. How was that journey as a female leader? How was that journey as a lady who you know, that wasn't necessarily the norm back when you started. And we're, I'm a little older than you, but we're roughly around, uh, we're out of the same era. How about that? Um, what was the toughest part of being a female leader during that season at, a, at one of America's flagship churches? What would you say? Well, I, I didn't really think of it as a tough time. I just thought of it as a big, hard time because we were growing a church really yeah. big. And actually we were watching God grow it. We were just trying to like hang on by the skin of our teeth. Uh, I think one of the reasons this topic is important to talk about is I really was not aware um, I mean, I was aware that I was often the only woman in the room, but I wasn't aware that that had any impact on my experience or how I was interpreting things or that there might be resistance to me. I was, you know, 28 and ready to go and excited <laughs> about what was happening. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't think twice about it. And part of that is I was gifted to grow up in a profession of all women. So, you know, my first professional years at, in nursing at a hospital and in student development at a large college was all run by women. And so I saw women leading at all these levels. I was led very well by some incredibly strong, intelligent and talented women who were Christians. And so for me, it didn't dawn on me that this wasn't something that should happen or that it wasn't something I could figure out how to do. Um, looking back on it now, I realized if I had been a little bit more educated, I could have 
probably had less, um, I would have questioned myself less because there was some probably resistance or some things that I stumbled across, like being paid differently than the guys. Um, the people I hired and supervised had more benefits than I did because they were men. So they had pastoral benefits, whereas I was their supervisor, but I was a woman and the HR lady categorized me differently. So, so I wasn't making as much money. Like I didn't, and when I figured them out, I worked for amazing people and they were super uh, advocates of me all the time. It never dawned on me that I would be having a, um, a, I would be, you know, I would have those kind of extra burdens because they didn't feel like they were putting extra burdens on me, but we had inherited kind of these systems and mindsets and different people along the way didn't necessarily like what I was doing or that I was there. And so there was, there was things that I think I just felt like, man, I'm not very good at this, or I didn't know how to negotiate my salary correctly. When really you shouldn't have to make sure you're being paid equally with your peers or the people you lead. That's a kind of a no brainer, but, um, so I think that was probably the biggest thing. The other thing is I would have spent a little bit more time snooping out the opportunities that were available to me, but no one thought to offer them to me. Mm. So, uh, for example, we had, um, uh, some really famous professors come in from seminaries and offer classes for like a hundred dollars a class. Cause we live in South Florida and every professor in their later years <laughs> wants to come down in the winter. And so I'm pretty sure there was some like great little deal there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so all of the guys, my same age, our church was really great about recruiting young leaders. So we had a lot of people in our twenties on staff working and doing ministry and they all got invited to these seminary classes. And I, I knew everyone wasn't available for meetings at this time, but I didn't think to ask why, or Hmm. could I come? I find out a year later, they're all about to graduate. I'm like, Oh, I would have loved to have done that. Um, But, and again, no one was trying to keep me from it. Just no one thought to invite me to it. And when they're all sitting around, no one's thinking, Hey, where's Katie? You know, they all think all of our friends are here. So there are those kind of things that were really just unfortunate circumstances and really just a sign of the times. It's the, it's the years I came up in, in the process that would never happen there. Now it would never happen. And it was not intended. Um, but I think that's the sort of stuff when you're the first one or the one, one of only a few that you do have to take a little bit of responsibility for knowing your environment and realizing these aren't things. Generally, these are not things that are personal, but they are things that if God calls you to be the first, you do have to do a little extra work if you want to be a part of those things. I see a lot of uh, women um, specifically, but even other minorities who um, it's, it can really exhaust you over time where you're like, do I always have to ask, can I come to that meeting? Do Mm -hmm. I always have to say, am I allowed to take these classes? It would be nice if they thought of me and it would. But uh, the parallel I like to use from scripture is uh, we look at Queen Esther, who's kind of a great, you know, young woman who gets put into leadership above, you know, she feels insecure about it. God anoints her. It's like her season. You're called for such a time as this. And I think all of us as leaders sort of imagine that moment, right? I think what very few of us look at is Queen Vashti, who went before Esther and actually stood up for her honor and would not let herself be objectified and paraded in front of a bunch of drunken men who wanted to gawk at her. And she was divorced and excommunicated and left with nothing. But if you don't have a Queen Vashti who goes first and stands up for what's right and does the extra work, you never get an Esther who Mm. walks Mm. into her queenhood and saves an entire nation. So our calling 
going, sometimes we're an Esther, but sometimes we're a Vashti. And if you're the first one, chances are you are going to have to do a little bit more, but it's just as important a calling um, because you are going to benefit from it. But really God's using you to make an impact in the kingdom and open doors for people that can't open it for themselves. What would you tell male leaders about why it's so important to develop female leaders? What would you, what would you, if you were to sit down and just pull up a chair in a, in a CEO's office or a athletic director's office or a pastor's office and say, listen, here's why your organization could be so much better if you saw this as a value, what would you say? Well, I would say uh, it's important to develop all your leaders. And that's actually the the thing that I champion. And what happens inadvertently is if you have a dominant profile of any kind, it's all people over 50. It's um, everyone who's physically able and you don't have anyone in a wheelchair and they're all athletes and play basketball every day together at lunch. If it's all men or it's all women, you're culture is probably automatically pushing out some of the leaders you have been given and you're not developing them, Mm. even though you think you're making it available. And that's why developing female leaders is an important topic, not because you have to develop female leaders, but you want to develop all the leadership capacity God's brought you in whatever your environment. And without paying attention, it's easy for a minority of any kind to feel like and to be actually told Uh, overtly and covertly that they aren't leadership material. And I'll tell you as an up and coming leader, when I get the message, whether intended or not, that I am not leadership material, I I'll believe you like what, you know, only the really cocky leaders think they have leadership potential. And those usually aren't even very good leaders. Most humble, hungry, hardworking leaders aren't going to grasp for leadership. They're not going to demand you give them an opportunity. They're not going to um, advocate for themselves that you invest in them. They're going to sit back and say, is there anything I have to offer? Do I have something more in me? Does anyone see anything more? And chances are I don't. And so if you don't invest in me, I'm going to believe what you're saying, which is that I don't have more to offer. And those are the leaders you want the most, right? The ones that are a little understated, the ones that are a little uncertain because they stay humble, they stay coachable, they want to contribute, but they're not sure if they can pull it off, right? Those are the leaders who serve the people and make the biggest dent in the organization. And so if you find yourself in a majority situation, and chances are you're one of the majority, it's really hard to understand that not everyone is experiencing leadership development the way you experienced it. So what I like to say to some of the guys in either the IT companies I work at, or the church environments that I coach in, is that your journey into leadership probably had some bumps along the way, but you also had a lot of people supporting you and encouraging you. You were sort of like in the drift of the river, right? The river's going and you're going to get some development, whether you try to or not, you have to really swim upstream to not do it. It doesn't go that way for women um, or for the other minorities. And so sometimes um, the culture itself can leave people out experiences like mine, where they just wasn't thought of as uh, leadership potential, but most guy leaders love to develop people they see themselves in, right? Because I remember being, you know, 30 years old and having a kid on the way and being stressed. I'm going to take that guy out to lunch and coach him on that. But you're probably not looking at the 28 year old pregnant woman saying, Ooh, young professional with a kid on the way. I'm going to take her out to lunch and coach her on how to navigate this pregnancy. You're not thinking that you're thinking maybe my wife who never had a full-time job could help her, but that's, she, she can't help her. So you want to try and make sure every young leader deserves a coach Mm. who's done the, the steps that they've taken. So you have to invest in, if you don't have a lot of strong female leaders who have time to 
to coach, by the way, and time to mentor. Right now, if you're majority guys, they all can take on someone, but your one leader at the leadership table can take on one woman. That's not going to do very much to help women scale your leadership ladder. So you want to invest in that. Um, if there are opportunities for women to uh, be in different roles, particularly if you have a culture that sort of works against women or you don't see a lot of women applying for promotions, there's probably a mixed message that you don't want women there. A lot of times mm -hmm. when guys have a lot of camaraderie, when there's a lot of teamwork, when there's a brotherhood, which by the way, makes for a great leadership experience. But really, if you can have a brother in sisterhood, you're going to get much better decisions, yeah. higher levels of productivity, uh, higher morale in your organization overall, greater retention. The research statistics are in that a brother in sisterhood kills a brotherhood all, you know, hands down every time. But it doesn't feel as fun, right? You can't say the same jokes in mixed company. You can't like um, banter about the same things. You can't plan the retreat that's totally guy oriented. You do have to acquiesce, but for the sake of the company or the organization, you get better results. So you have to ask yourself, do I want to serve me and my comfort? Or am I really here to serve the productivity and the impactfulness of our organization? And so if you do that, you want to include more women, you have to step a little into their space and invite them in, put them on a task force, invite them to speak at your meeting, um, add women to your team, even if it's maybe not the ideal person, at least temporarily add them for a season, get women in your leadership structures, help women know that you want them there, invite them to the table and help communicate the thing that your culture is probably accidentally saying to them that you don't intend. You made a point in the book to say, recruit great female leaders. Don't just, so why, why is it so important to say, well, I'm just not going to put a place card there to say, oh, well, we've got a female leader. We've got a lady in leadership, but you advocate not only should they be a a good leader. They should be a great leader. Explain that a little bit. Well, I don't believe every woman should be in leadership, just like I don't believe every yeah. guy should be in leadership. Right. And I think for the, um, particularly the men out there who are trying to make movement on this, you know that recruiting and developing and placing women in leadership is a key piece of that. The problem is if uh, you aren't intentional about putting strong female leaders in high level roles. There is nothing more frustrating than having a bad leader. Mm -hmm. And if you have sure. only one or two women leaders on your team and they're working at 50% of the other leaders, it really shows. And it's easy for your culture to assume it's because she's a woman. So you do now the the other side of that though, is that chances are the women in your organization have, have had far less development and opportunities. So you don't want to make the standard so high that she can't grow into it, but you want to give appropriate developmental level opportunities. And if you have a gap between where your women are hanging out, which in most organizations is right at that right below the mid-level manager and no one above that. You want to look outside your organization and help get some great female leaders who have led at high levels and know what that looks like and have been grown into it. Even if your pipeline isn't succeeding at that yet, bring her in at a higher level and get some women up there and begin to close the gap. Taking someone who's a mid-level manager and putting her on the executive team is a big jump for most people. You would probably never do that to a guy. He would think, right? It's a sink or swim scenario. Yep. So don't do it to the women, but still add women, just go and find the right ones and then work your pipeline. So you're propagating your own leadership teams with your own people. What, what's a male leader's biggest fear typically? 
of a strong female leader like that. So you go outside the organization and I know even in your book, you said, you know, it's easy to hire your friend's wife who you know her and she'll get along good with everybody and put her in that role. But you go outside the organization and you go, I'm hiring somebody who has a DC personality or they are a strong leader. They have that strong leadership bent to them. Why do you think a lot of men leaders fear that? Well, you tell me, Mike, what do you think men are fearing? (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm not on your (laughs) podcast. You're on my podcast. Well, I think for every guy, especially in our world, you're wondering, you know, number one, how is she going to fit in the team? Is she going to rub people the wrong way? You know, and I remember, you know, we have words for um, a guy that's a strong leader. Well, he is this. And then a lady who's a strong leader, you go, well, she's, she's this. And it's not always a positive connotation. And I think that, I think that, there is a fear factor for a lot of people. And I think the business world's probably a little past the church world in this. They're probably a little on further down the track of Oh, 100%. Yeah, they're, yes. they're used to that more than that being a cultural, cultural male world. How do you coach a male leader with that? If they brought you in for coaching, and you heard me on a podcast, and I didn't give a good answer. And you're like, okay, Mike needs some help. I'm gonna come <laughs> alongside Mike, I'll pull up a chair. How would you coach up a male leader? about that fear factor for them? What would you Mm -hmm. say? I would say if I was bringing in an executive from outside the organization, I would be scared of any leader I would bring Mm -hmm. in at that level for a cultural fit. So if you can take the gender piece out of your mindset and just think like a leader about leadership, you'll even the playing field and make sure you're not falling into some bad gaps. So I would say, do they, you know, are they respectful of other people? Do they understand our values? Are they on fire for our mission? Is that a natural passion for them? Um, Are they honest? Do they have integrity? Are they transparent? You don't want any leader who's going to disrupt your uh, the team dynamics or your culture. But I would say you're at just as great a risk with a guy leader to come in and mess that up as you are with a female leader. I think for guys, it's easier to blame gender for Mm. the misfits than to blame I hired the wrong person. So But the reality is um, many times, and I think this is one of the downsides of the culture focus I see, particularly in churches. I think the business world focuses on culture, but they focus on mission more. Mm -hmm. The church world has become, in my opinion, addicted to culture and building culture and creating culture. I don't think it's healthy personally, because we start to um, override culture, which is very easily translated as the senior leader's personality. And what we do when we bring in diversity is we challenge the culture to say, is this really culture that we're building or are we actually just ascribing to a certain way of doing something? These aren't values that will transcend. We talked about DISC a little bit earlier. That's one of the reasons I'm such a proponent of those kinds of assessments is because if you're not easy, especially as a top level leader, you can put a lot of people exactly like you on the team, which makes one dimensional decision making for multidimensional problems. The higher you go in an organization, the more complex and multidimensional the problems are. So therefore, the more complex and multidimensional the solutions need to be. But we tend to align ourselves with people who think like us, who have the same heart of us, who get that, who get it right. They get it. 
it. I don't have to explain it to them. Well, if you, if everyone on your leadership team gets it and concludes something with you really quickly, you are missing the power of diversity. You aren't harnessing the wholeness of what God has given your church or your business. And you are making one dimensional decisions for multidimensional problems. And you're just propagating the issue rather than actually moving your organization forward. So when you bring someone into the team of any kind, that's different, different personality, different background, different generation, different gender, it's going to automatically challenge your culture and force you to create a culture, not a personality. Fantastic answer. And I, I, I want to tell you, um, your book is incredible. And I think that leaders will do themselves a service to pick it up because it is a leadership book. It is about female leaders, but it is a, it is an incredible, powerful leadership book with so many principles. And I know that when I go do that, so I do a lot of disc training for companies and we'll do the wheel at the end of the day and get them to chart where they all are on the wheel. And if you're leaning to the right, to the left, to the top, to the bottom, you're leaning heavy D, heavy C, heavy I, heavy S, and you're not spread out, you're going to have major holes in your organization. And, uh, you know, DISC is a, in, whether it's DISC or Enneagram or Myers-Briggs or uh, Strength Finders, whatever tool, they are great tools to fit the person to that role. And that's a, that is an outstanding thing. As you work, Katie, with leaders, what is the biggest hurdle you see male and female leaders facing mm-hmm. today as you work with companies and churches? What would you say? I think one of our biggest challenges is the rate of change and anxiety that produces in leaders. I think uh, most leaders today have to go deep internally to lead strong externally. And that's just really hard work. Uh, We started to see it probably about five to 10 years ago when we started um, amplifying emotional intelligence over Uh, So EQ over IQ. And uh, that was really the precursor, I think, to navigating sort of the inward journey of a leader. It's always been important. It's always been an element that creates a foundation so that we lead, especially as believers, we lead from the inside out. The challenge has been is that our culture has shifted and we're really in the first generation of a postmodern, biblically illiterate culture that doesn't value church and God. It's particularly in America or, you know, and Canada um, and Europe, but this isn't a global phenomenon, but that's what we're seeing in the, in the leaders that I coach. And that shift of the foundation away where every Sunday and every Wednesday night and devotions around the table and prayer before every meal, that sort of baseline uh, interior peacefulness and integrity and strength has evaporated. Mm. And now we're leading in higher levels faster and we're leading in more dynamic and agile environments. I think the pandemic is, uh, you know, just one of many things still to come in our future as consistent disruptors. When you are leading in such a complex, fast-changing environment, you actually need a deeper, stronger foundation to navigate that holistically and to lead others in a way that's healthy and productive. But we're operating with a shakier, less 
uh, robust foundation in the midst of that. And that's why people are cracking. You know, I think mm. the pandemic is a litmus test for companies, for churches. There's going to be no middle ground in my estimation after this. Two years from now, churches will have either made it and are better or they didn't make it. Businesses are either stronger and they made it or they're out of business. And I think the same is going to happen with people. They mm. either made it and they're healthier thinner, their relationships are stronger, they're more focused than ever, or they're fatter, lazier, more health issues, more divorces, more defunct kids. Like it's going to, it's a litmus test make or break because it all has to do with the foundation. And so that's why even in this critical time where we're busier and it's more complex, we have to go spend more time going deeper and internal so that when we lead, we're making good choices for the right reasons and communicating them in a way that uh, decreases anxiety instead of transferring our anxiety to other people. And you're an incredibly busy person. I mean, you're leading a great company. You're managing managing a household, managing a company that you own, working with lots of clients of all kinds from the IT world to the church world. How do you do that? How do you continually feed yourself to keep from, I mean, and, and you've just walked through one of the most um, deepest valleys a person can walk through losing a parent how have you done that internal keeping yourself whole through this process? I have definitely dug deeper into the personal rhythms I've been working on for a while. And so I'm a big morning, quiet time, meditation, prayer person. Um, I spend a lot of time in that. I get up early to do it. Uh, I try to uh, exercise my body in a way that fits where I'm at. So there are seasons of my life that are more dormant. Like when I was staying at home, working just a few hours a week at the church, but I had a new baby, like I was running all the time and pushing myself. Now I do a lot more yoga. I go for long walks at sunrise and sunset. It's, it's a different kind of pace because it is the antithesis of what the rest of my day looks like. Um, I've dug into the key people in my life. So even uh, right now, when we're recording this, we still in South Florida, we're still at shelter in place because of our numbers. And so I'm, I'm not just texting my friend, I'm FaceTiming, I'm doing face to face, it's an extended conversation. I'm, I'm kind of a nerd. So I'm like, keeping track of who I've talked to, I don't want to let go of any of those yep. relationships. Yep. And each of those people speak a different thing into me. And I don't want to ignore a part of what I know is important for me to remember, at a time when it would be easy to put silencers on things. So um, for me, I think most of us, uh, if you've had any sort of practices or rhythms that God has forged in you beforehand, now's the time to double down on them. I think if that's not been something you've figured out, now's the time to start. And so um, for me, it's, the, uh, I'm a big self leadership person. Those are always the things I'm checking in first, because I know everything, you know, if I'm not leading myself, well, no one's going to want to follow me either. And so um, the five things I talk about in life planning, spells out the word spies. So how am I doing spiritually? How am I doing physically? How am I doing intellectually? How am I doing emotionally? And how am I doing socially? Mm -hmm. And I'm asking myself those five questions pretty frequently, at least a few times a, a week. And when I'm not doing well, like in the 
in the deep, you know, first few weeks after my mom passed away, I'm asking myself those five questions every day, because even though emotionally, I'm really sad, there's a difference between being sad and grieving emotionally and being in not a good place. Um, it's easy to isolate. So I want to make sure I'm socially connecting. And that doesn't mean I got to talk to three people a day. It means I've got three or four really healthy, supportive, positive conversations a week with people. I have a mutually enjoyable and rewarding relationship with physically. I'm not trying to run a triathlon this year, but I am trying to eat healthy. I'm trying to keep my arthritis down. I'm trying to keep my weight down. I'm trying to get out and be outside when I exercise, not in my house, which I've been in the rest of the day. You know, just asking myself all of those pieces spiritually, um, that litmus test for me, I've figured out if I'm being convicted of sin, I know I'm hearing from God because there have been seasons where I actually thought, and mostly I watch leaders leading in more influential, spiritually influential roles than me go way too long, not being convicted of sin. And God mm -hmm. has a way of exposing that publicly when we're not willing to listen to it privately. And so I realized God can say a lot of things to me, but the only thing that I can't be fooled about that only will come from God is my sin. Mm -hmm. Satan could tell me a lot of other things, but he's never going to convict me of sin, right. right? He wants me to stay in that. So as long as I'm being convicted in big and little ways, I know I'm hearing from God clearly. That's my spiritual litmus test. That's fantastic. And, and I love the conviction of sin. I love that because you don't ever think of it that way. You don't ever think of it as the enemy. The enemy wants you to stay in that world, not get out of that world. What, what's the biggest way God speaks to you? Is it scripture reading? Is it worship? Is it while you're, you're walking, listening to messages? What's been the way for you as you look back on your journey that God has spoken to you the most and where it was the clearest? for you? Uh, the, I think God's word is the one I trust the most. I feel like he actually speaks to me in a lot of ways, but all those other ways feel like affirmations mm. of what I believe I've heard in scripture versus the things I believe the most. And part of that is because I just, I'm a very creative person. Um, I'm a very, I'm easily inspired. I'm like, you know, I'll, I'll buy whatever drink Starbucks has on the, on the ad as I walk in the door. I'm very influential <laughs> or like I'm influenced <laughs> easily. And I know that about myself. So I'm like, you know, some person walking down the beach with a t-shirt I can take as a sign from God, like nobody's business, but I trust God's word, right? That's because right. he's, that's never going to return void. And, and, and even, I, and even that I can misread scripture, Satan used scripture to try to tempt Jesus. So I'm not even going to trust just that, but that's always the place I'm going to come down back to as the primary place. I always pray that God would show me truth in his scripture. And I believe that if I pray it and ask it with a whole heart, he's going to protect me from being misled. So that's where I start. And then everything else sort of um, is the energy to remind me and encourage me that I heard correctly. That's so good. That is so good. And as a helper, you do, you know, God signs can be everywhere at times that you say it. And you're like, I think that's the, no, no, no. They it's just ridiculous. Needed, actually. It's, it's sad. I feel, I feel your pain. Actually. I do feel your pain. Well, I want to tell you, um, number one, I've looked forward to this so much after reading about you in Dan Ryland's book and I adored Dan Ryland and just what he had to say about you in his new book, confident leader, which he'll be on soon uh, talking about that. But boy, God used your, just your, um, your books and your words to challenge me, you know, as a, as a leader to go, okay, am I providing the best platform for 
these young female leaders, and we've got a slew of young 20-somethings and 30-somethings, am I providing a platform that's that's promoting them into being the person that God created them to be. And so thank you for that. So it's been fun to prep for the interview, but it's also been good to, to be convicted, right. And to grow and go, all right, right. I need to do better. And I would just say, uh, just to advocate the women you really want to put into leadership now are 40, 50 and 60 year olds because Mm. they've been walking with the Lord their whole life. They may not realize they've got leadership in them, but you can see it, right? That's because right. they're leading whether they mean to or not, because that's what gifting does. And so give the, what these young women could use more than anything is some spiritual moms who are leading and walking in their calling at all generations uh, in your church. That's fantastic. That is fantastic. And thankfully, we've got a, a world full of them. And I know just on the podcast, we've had some amazing from uh, Molly Fletcher to, I don't know if you know Molly or Kelly Masters, Kelly, Kelly, Molly was the very first NFL agent and Kelly was right behind her. And, you know, she talks about walking in a room with 500 NFL players or 500 NFL agents, and she's the only female. And how do you break through and create your, you know, so the world is full of so many incredible examples, and even in church, and I think highlighting them and putting them in the right place is so critical to all this. You know, I love in scripture where it said, David served his purpose in his generation, and then he was done. What do you believe is the purpose God created Katie for? What would you say? Mm, Gosh, well, I think... At the end of the day, when I reflect back on the things that have been, at least from my viewpoint, the most spiritually fruitful, I think that I am oftentimes an advocate for people who don't know how to find their voice to translate it to the people who need to hear it. And so that translator, um, helping people take their next step, opening up doors, lifting those lids, like the, it's the blocks, the gaps, the misunderstandings, um, bringing unity to those things and moments momentum where things are stuck. That's what I really do. Boy, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You know, when I got off that call, I always measure the effectiveness of the time I spend with a guest by what it does for me internally as a leader. And I'll say this, I didn't know Katie. Uh, Katie was somebody I've read. Katie was somebody that I've heard on numerous podcasts. First found out about her on the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, where, she, where her episode with him was amazing. But I'll tell you this. She raised my spiritual temperature. She made me want to be better and challenged me in some areas that I needed challenged in as a leader, and one of those was on developing female leaders. Um, I think as a male, I think I, I I own a card that, well, that's not really my role, and it is my role, to identify and pour gas on those that already have the leadership fire burning. And we have made our steps in that direction, me personally, and a new ministry that I've started there at my church, North Star. And so I don't know where you're listening from today, but Katie is one you want to learn more about. So make sure and visit the show notes where you can get links to her resources and also learn more about Katie, if she can help you or your church or your company.
Man, I'm so glad you listened in today. What a great opportunity to, at the end of this podcast, share it with a friend. Just go to your podcast app and hit share. Share it with a friend. The best thing you can do is to subscribe so you never miss an episode because we want to deliver something good to you each and every episode. Well, the next episode's not gonna, we're not gonna deter off that. The next episode, we get to sit down with a young lady named Audrey LeClaire. Audrey is a young medical student right now, but her story is powerful. Last May, I learned about Audrey as it was ALS Awareness Month, and she shared the story of her father, an incredible man who left an amazing mark on his daughter, who's honoring his memory by now pointing people to help someone else go through what she went through as a young lady. You are going to love the story of Audrey LeClaire. Well, once again, thanks for listening today. I pray that in your leadership journey, you're becoming the person that God created you to be and leading in the space and the place that he has put you. Go have a great one. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com. 